When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Barca Talk, the inaugural Nations League appears to be at least somewhat competitive, not so friendly. FIFA leaves Messi out of the final three for their awards. And Lionel Messi, is he a good captain? Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. Brian Henderson, as usual, coming to you from Buffalo, New York, and joining me as always from Madrid, Spain, is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my UEFA Nations League brother from another mother. <laughs> the most important new competition. <laughs> it's What's happening. going on? Yeah, um, like we were talking earlier, it's absolutely glorious here in Madrid right now. It's 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 fall, and I, September is my favorite month. Even growing up in California was my favorite month, not only sports-wise, but the weather. But, man, today is like 23 degrees with a little bit of a breeze. It's not too hot. I was able to sleep the first couple nights past with an actual blanket. I forgot what that felt like. I know. We've been spending every night the last few few months with like zero covers, like just a sheet. And even then, I would just sleep on top of it completely exactly. naked. I mean, maybe that's too much information, but it's the truth. <laughs> but again, we were similarly, we spent the night last night under a proper cover. And uh, here in Buffalo, it's gotten into some really nice territory. I love the fall. Is my favorite time of year because my body just runs hot. I'm like I'm like a furnace. So and I have this extra layer of of on top of the skin is all this hair. <laughs> so I tend to generate and store a lot of heat on my body. So I don't I don't like the heat at all. I'm not I don't do well with it. So now that it's it's not fall, we're gonna get another warm snap here in Buffalo. I can just tell it's gonna get into the 80s and it's gonna be uncomfortable again. But this is a nice preview of fall and i'm gonna enjoy september and october especially yeah i mean growing up in california um around this time in september i just remember starting to play soccer with my team obviously just cooler weather obviously american football starting it was just like a really good month you know and i just really enjoyed it so uh this past week here in madrid it's been really really nice and pleasant and it kind of brings back those memories so yeah i'm gonna try to play football this week actually so i'm gonna see how that goes nice yeah, I actually got out on the field with a ball just for some personal training. I was uh, it was my uh, it was kind of my cardio day, but I figured rather than just go to the gym and sit on a stationary bike, I'd go out to the field with a ball and just take some touches. And man, my leg hurt, my ankle hurt, <laughs> and my, but it was good. It was, and of yeah. course, I'm like I'm I'm right dominant, so everything is lopsided. I'm, was lopsided on my body for a couple of days. My my right leg just felt wrong, and my left foot, my left leg was fine. But, you know, it's funny, growing up in California, because we both grew up in California, but in different parts. Because in Southern California, where I grew up, this is the time of year where you're starting to get the Santa Ana winds coming in. And the Santa Ana winds are uh, something that make you crazy. Uh, not figuratively speaking. They, <laughs> there's a known effect, right? It just, it's, it's like this amazing swirl of just energy. And where I grew up, there was a lot of dirt and dust in the air. Uh, so I don't necessarily look fondly on that particular thing, but otherwise, love the fall. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is now a weather 
podcast. We're going to talk <laughs> yeah. about weather for 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but let's talk about FC Barcelona as much as we can, uh, given the uh, lack of league matches or FC Barcelona matches, uh, at least with the men's team. Uh, this last week because our top story is uh, the nation's league, but we will get into that in just a second. Actually, there are uh, two news items of note for this week, and it looks as though the plan to play a competitive La Liga match in the USA is going forward this year with Barcelona playing Girona in Miami this January, but we will get into that in detail in the second part of the show. That's one item. And the other news is certainly good news. This is a smaller thing, but Carlos Alenia has been given the medical green light. He trained with the B squad, and he may have played in their game against Sabadell on Sunday. As of our recording time, we don't know yet. But his recovery from injury is complete, and he's getting back into action. But our top story today is the Nations League and the Spanish squad in particular. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this Nations League, and I was thinking about this the other night, you know, last night actually in particular. I, I guess the one good thing that comes out of it is that it's going to be like the super countries playing against each other more often i guess that's a real benefit you know so like last night spain and england i saw that it was germany and another country i forget france. who it was but france well they played so you get these... around midweek and they looked like because i was watching it at the gym and it looked like they were really playing yeah exactly and that's the thing is that you know i guess it's a it's a good thing because we get to see the top dogs so that's a nice nice twist but at the same time it's it's gives the managers an opportunity to check out new talent. Um, we're going to go through the game last night with uh, Spain and England really quickly. And there was definitely some new names and they definitely got a good result. They were able to pull off a two win victory at Wembley. Yeah. I mean, so wait a second. I just, just back up. So you're telling me that you're not super excited about Georgia versus Azerbaijan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Cause down in league D man, that's where it gets, you get really into the really small countries. I mean, how's Andorra doing? That's what I want to know. I mean, I guess the one benefit as we've been kind of going back and forth with this all week, talking about this uh, UEFA Nations League, were the, were the teams going to take it serious? How serious about the whole relegation and this with the European qualification and so forth? Okay, so last night was a case in that, yes, it was a pretty intense game for the most part for a friendly. But I guess the best thing coming out of it is we're just going to be able to see the top dogs playing each other more often. And right. I guess that's a really nice benefit to see because, you know, as before, you know, either through World Cup qualifications, you would get maybe one or two really good matches and the rest would kind of not be as good. But now we're going to get the more often. So I guess that's a good thing. Uh, but still, Lucho obviously interjecting his intensity with the Spanish national team um, last night they were, I was watching the sports show and they were just, they talked five minutes about the difference in mannerism from Lucho from the past three managers, essentially who were very steady, calm figures on the sideline. Right. And he's a little bit more intense. He's a little more animated. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that comes back from his playing days, you know, his playing days were like that. Um, well, let's just talk about the match. They were in a four, three, three. Like I said, they had some new blood on the team. Um, the lineup was as follow with Isco, Aspas, and Rodrigo at the top. I really like that. I like the interchange, the movement of that. I think the the player that didn't play as well last night of, the, of those top three was probably Isco. He kind of looked lost on the left side a little bit. I think he needs to play somehow in the middle. They need to find a space for him in the middle somehow because I think his playmaking can really show up there. In the midfield was Saul, uh, Sergio Busquets, and Thiago. Really 
dynamic midfield. They had a really good game last night, passing and going. And then obviously the back four was Marcos Alonso, Ramos, Nacho, and Carvajal. So pretty solid. Obviously, I think, you know, at the end of the match, Ramos had a iffy player at, at the end there. But for the most part, they, they looked really well. And I really liked um, how Rodrigo has been playing with the national team. I think he's really been climbing up the ranks and he definitely is showing that he's going to be a mainstay for the next couple of years for the Spanish national team. Yeah. And I think that's good for the national team. He's, uh, he's just one of those forwards who is, you can, you can plug him into a system and, you know, he can get some results. I think he's been doing really well at Valencia and I'm glad to see him getting more time with the the Spanish squad. Yeah. And, and like I said, they definitely had a new kind of intensity to them. Um, England took the early lead by a Rashford goal by a nice through ball in the 11th minute. And Rashford was able to finish past De Gea. But again, Spain was able to respond quickly with a nice goal by Saul. And obviously the playmaking from that play was Rodrigo on the right side to hit it back to uh, Saul and Saul, Saul one time to pass the goalkeeper Pickford. And so, yeah, so that was a good response for the Spanish national team. In the 32nd minute, Rodrigo was able to get the lead for Spain on a really nice set play. He was able to curl around uh, Harry Kane, get free, and able to one-time that pass Pickford. And so it was a really nice set play by Rodrigo getting free. And so, again, they had some good possession. They had some good opportunities for the most of the match. The the last bit of the match was a little bit of controversy where De Gea tried to catch the ball over Welbeck, and it was called for interference or foul. You could see both sides of that. But, again, De Gea should just punched it. You know, instead right. of trying to catch it, you know, in that play, he needs to he needs to punch that out. But again, uh, Welbeck was called for the foul and the goal was canceled or disallowed. So, um, you know, Spain was able to escape there with the victory. And so good start for them and their campaign, in the UEFA National Nations League. Yeah. And so what were the, the, the sort of main talking points in uh, in Madrid on the sports show there? Yeah. So today they, they talked about Saul. They had a really nice segment on his breakthrough play, um, kind of highlighting how his you know rise to the ranks through the World Cup and previous to that, um, he was all over the, the place and just had a really great performance. The second item was De Gea. De Gea's back, maybe. <laughs> and just about how Did he ever really you know, leave. I mean, well, that's the thing, you know, you know, most players have ups and downs, right? And Lucho said as much. I mean, have that in my text that they were uh, interviewing Lucho at the end of the match and he quoted saying, you know, he always never had a doubt about De Gea players go through ups and downs and he was able to hopefully regain his confidence because he did have some nice saves last night. Yeah. And then obviously, yeah. The other thing, the other two points was uh, obviously just Lucho's uh, sideline demeanor, just about how intense he was on the side, just obviously a change of perspective from the previous Spanish managers. And the last thing uh, Ramos getting whistled throughout the game because of the injury that he gave to Salah during the champions league final. So those are really the main points that, that they were talking about here in Madrid. Yeah, and I had read that he uh, had even right after that had gotten death threats after injuring Salah in the Champions League. Yeah, he talked about that after the match that he, you know, that no one talks about that. Of course, you know, being a professional player, you're going to get that type of reaction a lot of the times. Um, You know, unfortunately, that's just taking it too far, obviously. And um, he was able to, you know, have a decent game. He had a couple plays there, especially at the end where he had a miscue with the clearance. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting to see how he reacted to all the whistling that he was getting because he was getting whistled all throughout the game. I mean, he was able to put it past, you know, as a professional, you know, he's, he's a seasoned vet. I mean, it didn't really phase him, but again, he just talked after the game about exactly what you just said about the threats that he had against his family. And no one talks about that. And yeah, it's stupid. Like that's taking it way too far. Totally. Totally. It's just a game. Right. Right. And And, uh, sometimes Liverpool fans are, they're great. They're great fans. They're very committed to their club. 
but I, I think every team has this. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't, I mean, it's not you know, specific every, to Liverpool. You're, no, right. you're right. Every team has it. No, you're, you're so, right. you know, he just talked about that. But again, even Ramos Barcelona. is the captain of this. Say again? Even Barcelona. Yes, even Barcelona. Sadly. Uh, Ram, yeah, Ramos is the captain of this team. And so he was able to, um, you know, he's going to be the captain, obviously, probably for the next cycle as well. So it's interesting to see how that dynamic has changed a little bit because before, you know, we had the midfielders of Iniesta, Xavi as the captains, Puyol, Iker, you know, these type of players, and now it's Ramos. So it's interesting to see that. But again, that's what they've been talking about Madrid. They're happy with the performance and looking forward to the next match. Yeah, against Croatia. That should be a good one. Now, I want to look at the Spanish squad, though, just overall in relation to Barcelona because Busquets is the only Barcelona player in Lucho's starting 11 for that match against England. And then Sergio Roberto subbed in later on. And these are, so these are the only two Barca players on the Spain squad in this particular round. There were four from Real Madrid who started on Saturday, Nacho, Ramos, Carvajal, and Isco, and also Ceballos and Asensio were on the bench. Asensio came on later in the game. So that's a 6-2 to two ratio. But overall, uh, it's actually a very balanced squad in terms of the clubs that these players are coming from with uh, you, you know, Lucho's bringing in players from other strong Spanish teams. You know, we've got Rodrigo and then uh, Jose Gaia, uh, who's on the bench from Valencia. Saul and Rodri from Atletico. Even he's bringing in some from somewhat lesser Spanish teams like Celta with Iago Aspas. Athletic club Inigo Martinez, he didn't play, but he's he's on. he got called up. And Paulo Lopez from Betis, another one who didn't play, but he got called up. And then he's got a lot of players who were playing elsewhere in Europe, including a lot of Premier League representation. So on one hand, we can get more into the Barcelona aspect of this in just a second. But, you know, the the issue in the Spanish squad is always about the Real Madrid to Barcelona player uh, ratio. And you always sort of assume that a Spain squad will have a lot of those in them and trying to get them to work together and play together. That is always sort of one of the challenges that faces a Spanish manager. But Lucho has kind of, uh, I don't know if he's favoring Real Madrid. I think he's actually favoring a kind of balance, and he's just looking for the players that he wants. And it just so happens that they're in a number of different clubs at this moment. I just think that it's more about the depth of the Spanish team more than anything. Now, you know, before with the Barcelona versus Real Madrid players, like in the 2010 World Cup, you know, it was basically half and half of the starting 11. And now it's just more about the depth of the Spanish players going all over Europe and playing and just how good they really are, you know, um, especially with the younger players like Rodrigo Aspas, they provide something for me that I really like uh, compared to Diego Costa. I think Diego Costa is just like a standalone up at the top. I prefer an attack that's just more movement and give and go. And just like you listed all these players, they're just, you know, it's just about the cycle. And now the okay, Barcelona players, what do, mean, what do you mean by the cycle? Because the cycle of the, de- of the years of players, right? Because, like, for example, PK is not playing. Jordi Alba is not playing. Right. You know, it's just about being older, right? And so now with these, like we mentioned before, with the Barcelona roster and the Madrid roster, there's just less and less Spanish players on those teams. Right, and we'll, we'll get into that in, in, in more detail in just a second, particularly with Barcelona. Uh, but so, so you're saying that this is a natural thing, that this just sort of naturally happens over time, there's a kind of a churn and, you know, it's never going to be perfectly equal between the two major Spanish clubs. Well, I, I think it's actually a new thing. Okay. Because if we, if we look at the past, you know, three world cups, we probably had a good majority of Madrid players and Barca players, but now 
with just more Spanish players playing in England, more Spanish players and playing on different teams as opposed to just Madrid and Barcelona. That's why you're seeing just a little bit more diversity of where they're coming from, which I think is a good thing, right? I mean, I think, you know, giving these players other opportunities to play and picking the roster, like the roster we saw last night, I was very impressed. I like that roster. I like the way they look. Maybe the only thing I was, like we talked about earlier, is maybe something for Isco, put him somewhere else to put to highlight his maybe have two up top and one behind you know them I think that might be a good idea but again I just think it's really about the depth of the Spanish players now just going abroad right it's a testament to the strength of the youth academies in Spain and the training that they get in the uh, the younger ranks of Spanish national representation you know the under 19s the under 16s because of course all of these players even if they play in Italy or England or in Spain they all came through one of these youth academies, and then they also got training in like the under 16s, the under 19s with Spain. And so it's a testament to the quality that they pick up in that education that now they're playing, a lot of them are playing in the Premier League. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's the thing. And just like if we look at Rodrigo and Aspas, they play for Valencia and Celta, which aren't, you know, the top, top teams of Spain, and they're still really performing well week in and week out. And so I just think it's a really good thing because, you know, I, you know, personally, like I would like to see Barcelona players in there, but you know, it's just not possible. They're just not the top Spanish players anymore playing for Barca. We have a lot of international flavor. Right. Well, looking at the Barcelona squad, how many players who are eligible to play for Spain are even on, on the squad, right? So if we break it down, we've talked about PK, he's eligible, but of course he's had enough with Spain. It seems Uh, he's more or less quit from international duty. Jordi Alba is eligible, but he and Lucho don't get along, right? And then we had Sergio Roberto and Sergio Busquets called up. And strictly speaking, just going down the entire roster of Barcelona, Sergi Samper is eligible to play for Spain. He's injured and he's untested, so I'm not sure how much call-up he's going to get from Lucho. Rafinha, strictly speaking, is eligible, but he prefers to play for Brazil rather than Spain. And then we've got Denis Suarez, also injured, and I think that if he were well... Lucho might consider calling him up, but again, he's been, you know, sort of spotty uh, last year. He didn't get a whole lot of minutes when he did play and when he got some consistency, I think he looked good. So if he gets a little bit more opportunity once he's back from injury with Barcelona, maybe Lucho will look at him again. And then we've got Carlos Alenia, who just came back from injury. He's also very young. No, okay, now stick with me for a second. Strictly speaking, Messi is eligible to play for Spain. That's never going to happen. He plays for Argentina, and that's never going to change. And then finally, Munir. And what what can we say? It, it's Munir. He's he's not is, terrible, it, but there are plenty of Spanish players who are going to get called up before him. Exactly. I mean, I just see the only players getting called up for, you know, perennial Spanish time is going to be Sergio Roberto, Sergio Busquets. I mean, everyone else, like Denis Suarez, I just never see him getting, because he doesn't get enough playing time to merit a Spanish national team call-up. I mean, right. that's really what it comes to. So right. I so know he's eligible. the Barcelona squad at this point. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't ha- it's not feeding the Spanish national team very yeah. much. Is that a problem? Is that something that they should no. be concerned about? Some no. people think so. I'm not sure. I don't think so. I don't think it's not something we have to worry about. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's something we have to worry about because first Barcelona's goal is to do well in their three goals, right? The league, Champions League and Copa del Rey. Their their goal is not to develop players for the Spanish national team. Right. So. And now on the other hand, you look at the whole squad and you look at all the internationals on that squad. 
right? If you break it out to, to other countries, right? You've got Rakitic playing for Croatia. You've got Messi for Argentina. You've got, well, Malcolm and Arthur. Arthur just made his first appearance for Brazil, and I imagine Malcolm will not be too far behind with that. Coutinho, a regular for Brazil. Uh, who else? We've got we've got Dembele for France. We've got Umtiti for France. Suarez. We've got Suarez for Uruguay, who scored two and assisted on a third over the. He's back, baby. I'm he's, just kidding. Well, he's somewhere. <laughs> he's he's in he's in Uruguay. I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. But he, you know, he shows that he still has has the chops to do it. So uh, rather than looking at Barcelona as feeding the Spanish squad in particular if you look at just all of the internationals we have on our squad we have we of course we have tons of top players who are playing internationally for top countries so as a club that's a measure to go by exactly i mean our you know our goal like i said is to win those three competitions and they're you know they're always trying to bring the top talent it doesn't matter if it's from spain or outside and so you know like we said it's just a cycle with the players that we haven't been able to develop through la masia from before with Xavi and Iniesta, Busquets and all that, that crew. And so we're just trying to get those best players to fill in those gaps from, you know, the best leagues in the world. Now, you know, in the 2010 World Cup, when we had, you know, half the team with Barca players, that's that's a direct correlation because they were La Masia players and they were just able to, um, to get that playing time through Barca and really develop as a team for the national team and grow through those, those ranks. So I prefer this just because I think it's, it speaks more about the, like you said, the academies, the development of Spain, and you can just see the quality of players that they continue to develop, and so they should be front runners for every major tournament all the time. All right, now after the break, FIFA's so-called the best awards, and what some of you are thinking about Messi's omission from the final three candidates for the award of best men's player. Get commercial-free episodes, special bonus episodes, and Barca Talk merch by becoming a monthly supporter. Just follow the link to Patreon in the episode description. All right, so we talked about this last Thursday on our Patreon bonus episode, the FIFA Best Awards. They announced the three finalists for their best men's player this past week. The initial list included Leo Messi, but the finalists were Ronaldo, Modric, and Salah. The ceremony will take place on September 24th in London. And I just want to lead on this story with actually a comment we got from Daniel in Australia regarding Messi's omission from the final three. He says... Definitely unjust. Salah had an excellent season by his standards, but Messi shouldn't be penalized for consistency. Messi should easily be in the top three. Salah didn't even win a trophy or the golden boot for that matter. If anything, Griezmann or Mbappe should be ahead of Salah because of winning the World Cup, in my opinion. I mean, this award probably should go to Messi every year. They should call it the Messi Award. Exactly, just because of his consistency. So, obviously, the finalists for this award were Modric, Salah, and Donde Esta Serie Siete. That's what they call it. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. Um, <laughs> it was from this sports show, this this funny guy from Sevilla. You know, all last season when when Ronaldo wasn't scoring and stuff, he made this song that's really funny, and it's called Donde Esta Serie Siete. <laughs> it's so funny. So, I call him that as well. So, Is anyway, he still wearing biggest- seven at Juventus? Yes, he is. Of course. Is. Okay. Yeah. Because that's his brand. The, 
Yeah, exactly. So for me, the biggest problem with this award is that nobody knows what the criteria for this award is, you know? Right. So Messi had, you know, an amazing statistical year of the three mentioned. However, he's not on the finals list, as we said. So Messi scored 34 goals, FCB won La Liga and Copa del Rey. And obviously Argentina didn't perform that well in the World Cup. So let's just do a quick breakdown of those three players, right? So Salah scored 32, but his team didn't win any titles. And World Cup campaign was zilch, right? right? Modric won the Champions League, obviously had a good uh, World Cup run with Croatia. And statistically, it's hard to measure, right? Because he didn't score that many goals, but obviously he was the engine that drove Real Madrid. And so that goes, that's a high value for that. And then obviously CR Siete uh, scored 26 goals. He was number eight on the goal scorers list, okay? And they didn't have a good World Cup campaign. And obviously, they won the Champions League. And obviously, because of those highlight goals he made, maybe that has something more in our uh, in sports writers' memories, you know, with the bicycle kick in Juventus and so forth. So as we talked before, I just think this award's a joke. You know, we talked about this, like the MVP and the NBA, no one knows what the criteria is. So everything, it just creates this discussion, you know, for sports shows, for amazing podcasts about FC Barcelona. Yeah. And, you know, it's completely subjective and we don't know, but Messi should definitely be on that list. And I agree completely with Daniel that for the rest of the two, I would put Messi, Mbappe and Griezmann for those for those three uh, spots. Yeah, I mean those would have been my picks. But then again, again when you go back to statistics, right? And like you said about Madrid, it's hard to say because he's not necessarily a goal scorer, but he's clearly influential, incredibly influential. And he may not even be the one to make the final assist, so you can't necessarily fall back on assist statistics. So as long as we're looking only at statistics then only goal scorers are going to win these awards because on or until someone can come up with some kind of a reliable and I'm not advocating for this because stats are helpful they they give a picture to things but they don't tell the whole story right because football is like uh, is like life there's there are a lot of intangibles that happen on the field that you can't necessarily quantify but if a statistician were to come up with some you know midfielder stat Right, some kind of telling number that tells you how effective someone, a player like Modric was, for example, then maybe you could start to compare those things. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm sure some statistician is working on some like ultimate footballer number, right? <laughs> some statistic that that's based purely on raw data, but still somehow like is an equation that that actually could find the best. But again, this is a these awards are all subjective. They are all silly, and we can't not talk about them. That's the thing. I sort of wish that we could just ignore them and not talk about them personally. But if we're to cover the sports world, if we're to talk about the footballing world, we do have to talk about it. And all I can say is that it is silly that you take a, a sport which is objective in its results. Ultimately, sports is decided through score lines. <laughs> And then from those score lines, we get league winners, we get cup winners, we get champions, right? That's what sport is all about. This is something else entirely, and it's like you're taking sport and turning it into art, right? And trying to decide what the best movie is or the best TV shows are or what the best music is for the year. It's it's like it's it's totally in the realm of of subjectivity and of course the the argument is that well if we pool enough subjectivity if we pool enough consensus then we can arrive at this sort of winner but it's it's just silly because we already have a really great measure for footballers and footballing and it's 
it's score lines and who wins championships. Exactly. Good point. And, you know, Messi again with those top goal scorer as well. And just the leagues. I mean, we've got the comments from different listeners about the consistency, getting penalized by that. And unfortunately the other thing too, we got another comment about, um, you know, the, the coverage of La Liga gets around the world. Yes. From Zach in Cincinnati, he says, here's a hot take for you. Are these snubs of Messi a direct result of La Liga not having a bigger TV deal? It seems the only seasons he doesn't win an award is when he doesn't win one of the big tournaments. He can't perform well and win an award. He has to win the whole thing. Ronaldo's awards the last few years have come with a Euro win and Champions League titles the last three years. Modric's Champions League and World Cup. Feel-good story. Salah, shoulder injury, Champions League and Premier League those being the nominees, it's almost like the award is directly tied to television exposure. I'm not familiar with the ins and outs of the voting, but is it similar to, say, a Hall of Fame induction in baseball or basketball with votes of global writers and players or some independent group? I mean, at last I heard, I think it was a mix of writers, managers, and players mm-hmm. for the best, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, I, I definitely think it is because of La Liga coverage. You know, what we talked about how, you know, the EPL bubble and everything that goes on in there, whenever uh, a new player comes in and does really well, they automatically get labeled as the best player in the world, you know, because of how, uh, quote unquote, competitive the EPL is. So I, I definitely think it's the exposure of La Liga definitely doesn't, uh, I think it hurts more than anything, because, you know, as we've seen, and we're going to talk about, they're trying to expand more, but they just need to do better with the marketing and um, just expand that way first before they come to the U.S. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, and we're, we're probably going to keep talking about that, the whole La Liga TV issue, at least outside of Spain, right? Here in the U.S., I can, I can tell you, and we're getting, hearing a lot of things from people about all the problems they're having with that. Um, but in response to Zach, no, I don't think that it's because of the TV deal, because just look at the, the finalists. You have two players from Real Madrid who play in La Liga. And Ronaldo plays for Juventus now, but he's, he was at Real Madrid when they started drawing up these finalists. So it has to be, it has to be something else. Well, I th- I disagree with you because... There are two players in the final three who play in La Liga. I understand, so... I understand. But, but why are they in this list? It's not because of La Liga. You don't think that Ronaldo's no. on the list because they won the... Well, okay, Champions League is not La Liga. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I think, fair enough. I think... I think that these European writers and take more precedence over Champions League than La Liga for sure, mm-hmm. because it's viewed outside as La Liga because Madrid and Barcelona have constantly won that it's an easy league to to win. And so, I don't think it has anything to do with La Liga. I think it has all to do with Champions League. Let me let me just take it a little bit far afield here. If you look at their best manager finalists, you've got Dalic, Croatian international coach, Deschamps, France national coach, and then Zidane, Real Madrid. So. There's clearly some kind of a preference for international performance and then Champions League performance. So okay, I I recant. I yeah. I mean I wish I wish it was, you know, obviously for more La Liga exposure, but you know, now, you know, like we talked about, Champions League here, especially in Europe, has taken, you know, it's it's becoming more important, you know, than the league. It's just seen as the outside because it's such a t- difficult competition. You're playing against you're playing against the toughest teams of Europe, right? So that's why it maybe takes a little bit more precedence than La Liga. But as we talked about, La Liga, the league campaign is so much more difficult because it's so much longer. And 
the ball doesn't bounce your way, you get knocked out. And so that's not really a true barometer of how good of a team you are. You know, there's definitely a lot of luck involved with that. But as we noted, and as you noted in the list, you know, I just, it's interesting that, you know, Deschamps, a manager of the year for three weeks. I mean, yeah, I know he had a talented team and he was able to win the World Cup. But, you know, I think maybe Pep or, you know, these, I think there should be more, maybe they should have a different award for the league and for World Cup and for Champions League. That's no, not good. No, no, not more <laughs> awards, fewer awards. <laughs> that's well, that's my thesis. Not more awards, fewer awards. Let's just have competitions and see yeah, who wins okay. like yeah, we yeah. used to do. <laughs> like we used to do. Yeah. I mean, you, you, know, you know, golden boots, those sorts of things. Again, those are objective. Fine. But I mean, I think the thing that just goes back to is, you know, when you are trying to mount up a resume for Messi or Ronaldo or these best players, you just want to have them win all these awards, even though they're, we talked about, you know, how we want Messi to be considered the best player. And one of those things is you want him to continue to win these awards. And when he gets, left out when it's clearly obvious that he had such an amazing season. It's just a farce onto the whole awards. Right. And I'm also wondering if, you know, maybe, maybe we're just upset that we didn't get a vote. I mean, we have this podcast. We're, yeah. we're covering this stuff. I mean, obviously we're biased, but we're not the only ones who are biased. Sports is a very polarizing biased sort of thing. So yeah, I think really what this comes down to for us, for you and me, is that we're upset we didn't get votes. We should have, we would have put in two votes for Messi for sure. Four. Four. <laughs> <laughs> I'll vote twice for him. Yeah, and exactly. I totally cheat. <laughs> we'll we'll vote twice and we'll write in twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So hashtag FIFA's the worst, not FIFA's the best. Barcelona are going to play well, there's been a leak that it looks as though the La Liga match that will be played in the US uh, is gonna be Girona, Barcelona on January 26th in Miami at Hard Rock Stadium. This is a nightmare. It is for me. <laughs> I I just, like I said, from the first moment we started covering this story, the way I introduced it was, is this a, a bad idea or the worst idea? And I still think it's a bad idea, although I was just reading an opinion article in Sport by a guy named Fulch, who says that this is actually good for everyone and... What's funny is he attacked the uh, players' union arguments against or complaints about this this deal by saying that they haven't detailed what would be how it would be bad for players. But at the same time, he he didn't back up how it's good for players. We understand how it's good for clubs. Yeah, like Hirona apparently is looking at about four million euros for this, which allows them to make all kinds of uh, interesting concessions for their fans, like complimentary flights to the u.s to come watch the yeah. game yeah. uh and I, there was another one um but also up to a 40 percent uh refund on their season tickets if they don't take the uh, the flight option or there was another option i forget what it was but like they can shoulder that all that cost with the money that they're going to get and of course barcelona from their perspective they want to uh get more global and this would work for them uh, to do that, I suppose. But I don't think I don't think you need to look too far for how this would harm players or how it would be a a problem for players. Look at the date, right? Well, you did I say mean... you did say that if they're going to do it, they should do it around the Christmas break. And it looks like it's because what Girona is doing is giving up their home 
match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look at the date. It's after. It's Christmas after break. the start. No, I would think it's after the Christmas break. But so there are going to be Matt La Liga is going to kick kick off again after Christmas break in early January, and then yeah. in late January they're going to have to fly to the U.S. for this thing. Yeah, that's oh, exactly man. right. Yeah, and then obviously Champions League campaign is going to start right around the corner there. Mm-hmm. So just think about all those different things that go into time. I mean, the other thing too that's really huge about this is the the obvious Catalan spanish thing that's going on here that's that's another that's such a huge topic that they're taking away the girona home match you know which is obviously girona's a very strong catalan independence area yes um when i was there every balcony had a catalan flag a catalan independence flag hanging exactly (laughs) exactly and so to take that match away and then obviously on top of that to ban to ban any political symbols like you have here or Catalan flags at the match. It's just asking for trouble that doesn't need to be. Why can't it just be a, another match, you know, another team to go? That's this is this is the backwards thinking of the league that just drives me crazy. It's also completely screwed up that you would have a match in the United States where we hold freedom of speech to be this, you know, absolute unimpeachable right. And yet you're going to limit what flags you're going to give out Spanish flags and then ban any other political symbols. Yeah, that's completely. And I don't want to say that word. Um, It's wrong. It's it's (laughs) It's not cool. Yeah, Yeah, it's not cool. And the other thing, too, is that many of the Americans don't understand what is going on with with Catalonia and Spain. You know, it's just kind of one of those things because we U.S. has its own problems, right? Let alone trying to figure out the Spanish political yeah, landscape. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the, yeah, the Spanish political landscape. Even for me that I live here, it's still difficult for me to understand all the ins and outs because I just, I'm a new person here and all of a sudden this thing's been waging for so long, you know? Oh yeah. And I just, man, I just, when I first saw this match, I, that was the first thing I thought of was like the Catalan thing. And obviously people on Twitter were talking about it again, just the way they go about this, you know, they could have just picked another team, you know, Barcelona and Betis or Real Madrid and Sevilla. I don't know anyone else that has, why add this fuel to this fire? Now, Girona's, the people of Catalonia are going to have a bigger platform, right? Because it's going to be a huge deal. Right. And it's just, you know, it's just backwards thinking again. And again, you know, from the match in Valladolid where they can just have these things with the field and then they just add this Catalonia political asylum going to the Miami. You know, it's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's crazy. Uh, it is crazy. That, and I, I still think it's a bad idea. And I mean, I'm, I guess I'm happy for Girona that they'll make four million euros off the deal. Of course, after all of the concessions that they're going to have to make yeah. to their fans and season ticket holders, it'll be a lot less than that. Or at least considerably less. But I guess that's the tax you pay. Yeah. <laughs> if you're trying to do exactly. that. And I, I assume that uh, City... City Football Group, who has partial stake in Girona, they uh, they probably had something to do with that as well. They probably did. They probably did. Anyway, I don't like it. I'm not a fan. Yeah, nor am I. I don't like it at all. So real quick about Barca women and Barca B. So the Barca women, they started the Liga Iberdrola campaign with a 1-0 win over Athletic Club in Bilbao on Sunday. And we will hear more about that from Michelle Taylor next week. But good on the women to get a good start with an away game and a 1-0 win fantastic and Barca B are not starting off the Segunda B season well uh, with two losses to Alcoyano and Estiejea 
They played Sabadell, or they will have played Sabadell later on Sunday. And in a couple of weeks, we will have a full report on Barca B from Max Bluer. Next up, when we return, Messi's greatness as a player is undeniable. But is he a good captain? All right, we're back. And this is a final thing. And I'm, I'm, if it weren't for the break, the international break, we may not be asking this question, but it's been occurring to me over the past couple of weeks or ever since the captains were announced for Barcelona that Messi was the first captain. Is he really a good captain in the, I don't know, in the classic sense or in the traditional sense? I mean, he's obviously, like I said, he's the greatest player I've ever seen. He's magical on the pitch. He's a, clearly a really good guy. I have nothing against him, obviously. I'm completely for for Messi. And he has some experience captaining Argentina. He's been a secondary captain for Barca for a while now. But now that he's the first captain for Barcelona, and when he plays for Argentina, he's the first choice captain, the question arises, is he really, does he fit that mold of a, of a good captain? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening this week. <laughs> Well, when we talked about this in our Patreon episode, you brought up a really good question. I thought this was a really good question. And, you know, my first thought is no, he's not your ideal captain, right? Um, when I think of great football captains, my Mount Rushmore football captains would have to be Puyol, Vieira, Kane, and Maldini. Those four guys are what I typically think of what a great football captain, just their attitude, the way they were able to drag players when they were tired, you know, and also to demand excellence from their players. Now, Messi is obviously a good choice for the captain now because of how good he is and he leads by example in practice and so forth. And I think overall he's growing into that role. I think it's taken him some time. But as I noted during the World Cup, he was definitely more demonstrative during the halftime when you saw him talking to the players and before the match. And I think maybe it just has taken him some time to kind of develop into that kind of personality. Now, you know, one of the things I think about when you asked this question was, you know, think about all the bad losses we've had in the past couple of years in Champions League or whatnot. And what was Messi's reaction? Now, if Puyol was in those matches, you know, let's talk about the last three years, you know, since Puyol retired. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Puyol could have swayed just a little bit, maybe the outcome making it a little different? I don't know. Maybe he could have. But I just think you would have seen him get angry on the field. You would have seen him question or maybe just try to push the players to give that last percent that they couldn't have given. Maybe in the Roma match, he gets the team together, huddles them up and tells them to concentrate, that they have to do this. And so I don't think initially he's been a good captain, you know, because he's not demonstrative. He's not yelling on the field. So, but I think he's definitely evolving and becoming a good captain. As we talked about, he spoke to the crowd for the first time, um, you know, doing that and just taking the role. And, you know, it's been a long time coming. And I think obviously with his play speaks well enough. But as I talked about my Mount Rushmore of captains, if we compare Messi with these four guys and just personality wise and what they were able to mean to the team, it's, you know, Messi still has a bit to go to catch up to those guys. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, because I love him. And in fact, I was thinking about this since we talked about this last Thursday. I've thought about it some more since then. And I think one of the reasons that I love Messi so much, just me personally, there are, of course, many, uh, many uh, objective reasons that anyone should have at least 
an incredible appreciation for him if you care about football or sport or athletics at all. Uh, there are plenty of those things, but me personally, I always feel like he's kind of like the best version of of me. <laughs> like in terms of – because I'm – I'm sort of a, an introverted guy generally. I mean, yeah, we make this podcast, but I'm just in my in my little room here in Buffalo just talking into a microphone. You know, I'm not the one who's going to get up in the locker room and stand up on the bench and get everyone riled up. That's it's not my style. I'm a little bit more introverted and I feel like yeah, but see that's you, right? So that's why we're a good team. But I I feel like Messi is kind of like the best possible version of what I could be if I were a footballer. Right, he just incredible skill, a leader by example on the field and in training, but in the locker room maybe more subdued, a little more introverted, and he is having to step out of that. And when he took the captaincy, I think he accepted that as part of the challenge of it. Because in terms of his game and his play on the field, what more could he improve? What 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 could he possibly work on? So this is a new challenge for him. Yeah, exactly, and and. I've already seen a change in the last year of just the way he's been able to talk to the players and show players where to go. And I think that's a big step in the right direction. As you were saying, I'm the opposite. Like I, I would get in the middle of the locker room, I would yell at people and say, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I even remember like before I moved here, I was in charge of a co-ed football team that I played on. And I would just, I was so ruthless with people. I would just cut them and I would just tell them what, you know, what they were doing wrong and so forth. And I was just like, come on, we just need a win. It was for a, a little paperweight, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we want that paperweight, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, again, I think it's great that he's evolving and hopefully it's literal he's silverware. It's just a knife, yeah, a fork and a spoon. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It keeps my paper on my desk. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so watch out wins. All right. Um, but, you know, like I said, if you compare Messi's personality, it's just not the typical captain personality. Um, but I think we'll see what happens this year, especially when there's a little bit of adversity. We'll see if Messi can step up. And not to change the subject, but have you seen the documentary, Vieira Kane, Keen, no. No, uh, Best not. of Enemies? Man, it is so good. It's this documentary. It's maybe 30 minutes from the BBC, I think, or Sky. And basically they have Vieira and Keen sit in front of each other and they just talk about the the wars that they had both playing for Arsenal and Manchester United. And at the end, it's great because they picked their top 11 using either Arsenal and Manchester United. And it's just fantastic, the debate they have and how much respect they have. And it just really shows you, if you watch that, that documentary, what it means to really kind of be the captain, even though you're not the best player on the team, right? That's the other thing. And I think that's a, a notion with Messi being the best player. And if he can develop that personality, man, all those players are just going to follow him through war. And, you know, like I said, we'll see what happens when there's a little bit of adversity in the season because you know there will be. Yes. So tell us what you think. Um, I, we didn't necessarily mean for this to be a, a polarizing topic or a controversial topic, but it was something that occurred to us. I think we had a good talk about it. Tell us what you think about whether you think Messi is a good captain or whether he's going to grow into that, uh, what sorts of uh, examples you can think of where he really stepped up as a captain or wh- whatever. I mean, it's not a it's not a homework assignment. Just tell us what you think. <laughs> so I've been teaching this class. So, of course, I'm in teacher <laughs> mode and I'm like, what would be a really good question for people to answer as if I have the power to make them answer? But <laughs> and, you ha- and you have till Wednesday night to turn it in. Yeah, so. it's due Wednesday by midnight. <laughs> Uh, no late responses, please, or you will lose points. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, tell us what you think about this topic. 
This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing and music by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Gabriel Quiroga. We can't make this show without you, the listeners. To see the premiums you get with a monthly contribution of support, follow the link to Patreon in the episode description. And visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network.